0: Hello again, Fight Fans. Welcome to episode 243 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast for the week of November 7th. I am your host, Michael Montero for Ring Magazine, RingTV.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel. Great show for you guys today. We've got uh, Christy Martin, the coal miner's daughter, is going to join us in probably about 10-15 minutes. we got a lot to discuss. Huge weekend in the sport of boxing, both In the ring and outside of the ring. A lot going on. Uh, As usual, guys, I remind you, please like, share, subscribe. That's what you could do to help me out. That is the best thing you could do to help out the show. Make sure you subscribe to the Ring Digital YouTube. Make sure you're clicking on the notification bell and all that good stuff. Also, uh, real quick shout out, a little celebration for Ring, man. Today, we officially hit 100,000 followers on Twitter. So thank you. For all you guys that that did uh, follow us on Twitter, we also have over half a million followers on Instagram. How awesome is that? And we have 80,000 plus subscribers on the Ring Digital YouTube. I'd love to get that to over 100,000 as soon as possible. So if you're not subscribed, make sure you are. For all of you guys who are subscribed and follow us, thank you so much. And of course, I remind you, go over to my YouTube, my Twitter, all that good stuff at Montero Unboxing. My handle is always the same on every platform, Montero Unboxing. So like I said, we're going to have Christy Martin, the coal miner's daughter on the show in probably about 10 minutes or so. Uh, I'm sorry that we're running a little bit late. We're about five minutes late. We usually start promptly at five o'clock PM Eastern, but we were having tech issues. I need to get the new iPhone because uh, my old iPhone sucks and there are some weeks where it just doesn't want to cooperate with me anyway. Okay. A lot of stuff happened in the ring last weekend. We'll review all of that, right? We had cards over in the UK, here in the United States. It involved maybe pound-for-pound pound list and, and divisional ratings. Uh, the ring ratings committee, we had a busy weekend discussing all the moving and shaking, right? So uh, we'll definitely get into that discussion. And, but there's a lot happening Outside the ring. So some quick news items. Michael Conlon uh, suffered a left foot injury, an ATFL tear. That's anterior talofibular ligament. He will be out for two to three months. Obviously, this means his fight, his scheduled fight with Isaac Dogbay, which I really liked that matchup. That is now off. So perhaps they can redo that, revisit that fight, that matchup next year. But he's out of the ring for the rest of 2020. Such a shame because I know he was really looking forward to that fight. Recent guest to the TNC show. So um, get well, Michael, and uh, we'll see you in the ring next year. Also, DeZone. Remember, I think it was back in May or March. I think it was actually in March where they were looking at expanding to 200 plus markets around the world. Then COVID happened, and in the pan, you know the pandemic, the quarantine, the lockdowns, that really affected the sport of boxing, particularly the zone. I think more than any other platform in boxing. Well, they are back to their original plan, and they are going to launch a 200 plus market uh, expansion. In December, it's going to kick off with the Ryan Garcia-Luke Campbell fight in the UK. So those of you in the UK, that's that fight, of course, is December 5. Those of you in the UK will be able to watch that on The Zone over there in the UK, which I think is awesome. I think it's great that uh, that platform is expanding to people in other parts of the world. And I do know that the Garcia-Campbell fight, that's going to start around midnight UK time. All right? It's going to be in the afternoon On the West Coast of the United States, uh, I guess early evening, late afternoon, early evening here in the West Coast, or I'm sorry, East Coast. And then over in the UK, uh, midnight, right around midnight, you guys will be able to catch that fight. So they are purposely putting it on um, at, uh, you know, early in the afternoon on the West Coast so that you guys will get that, you know, right at midnight over in the UK. I think that's smart by Golden Boy Promotions and everybody involved there. All right, let's talk Deontay Wilder. So I'm not going to get into all the details of the video we posted by now. All you guys have seen it. You've probably seen my video talking about it. If you haven't, make sure you go to my YouTube channel, Montero Unboxing. There's a pinned video right there at the, the top of my uh, YouTube channel where you can watch. I talk about it for about 20 or so minutes. The thing is, that was Saturday afternoon. That was before Deontay That was after he made a two-minute video post, I think on his Instagram or Twitter or whatever it was. That was before he went on a couple of YouTube channels. And I think it was two different YouTube channels and further elaborated with some of this stuff. It was throwing uh, Mark Breland really, really under the bus, man, accusing him of spiking his water, perhaps with muscle relaxers or something like that. Just crazy. Crazy. Crazy stuff, man. Uh, so a few of you have asked. and I, Again, I'm not going to get into all the quotes from the videos. You guys have already seen it. Watch my video. Uh, also, I, I will say I should uh, update on me. Uh, yesterday I was in the Ringside Reporter show. So make sure you go check those guys out, uh, Ringside Reporter. We did over two hours, and we talked a lot about the Wilder thing and all the fights this weekend. So go over to Ringside Reporter's YouTube channel and watch that show. Also, last night I did a live radio spot, uh, national radio, with Dave Smith, and I got that clip. I'm working on getting it chopped up, and I'll post it to my YouTube channel as well where we talk in detail about uh, Deontay Wilder, and he actually plays clips right there on the radio show uh, from Deontay Wilder's interviews on these these YouTube channels where he goes in against Mark Breland, and I just don't understand the hate toward Mark Breland, and and calling him a disloyal trainer. Mark Breland did everything he could to take Wilder, who, let's face it, even if you're a diehard Deontay Wilder fan, he's pretty much a big right hand, and that's it. And Breland was able to take that. I mean, a great raw athleticism, obviously, height, reach. I mean, he's got tools, but his biggest threat, obviously, is the big right hand. And Breland was able to mold him into a world titleist, a world title holder, defended that title, you know, yeah, it was B and C level opposition. And a lot of that was political, the WBC working with Al Heyman. I, I get that, but B- Mark Breland steered that ship and he was the one who was in there giving the technical know-how and and straightening uh, Wilder's punches and everything. He didn't always listen to Mark Breland. If you watch some of Wilder's fights, but man, to throw him under the bus like that, just insane. And, and to talk about spiked water and everything and the glove situation which is hilarious because a lot of people talking about that, including Wilder, seem to be ignoring the fact that J.D.'s, his other trainer, the other guy in this corner who stayed on the team, was in Fury's dressing room watching him get taped up and gloved up, along with Nevada State Athletic Commission uh, officials. And everybody signed off on the gloves. So d- the thought that apparently uh, Fury stuck an egg weight in his glove and all that, man, that is just crazy. That's insane. So I really don't know what to say. I know a lot of people are having fun with this and trolling. And, yeah, I changed – I had some fun changing my name on Twitter this weekend. It was Michael Eggweights Montero. Then it was Michael Spiked Water Montero. I'm having fun with it. But I also posted a tweet today, and I pinned it to the top of my Twitter profile, just saying, look, man, someone needs to have a talk with Deontay, like a serious talk, because somebody on his team, somebody that cares about him needs to talk to him. Because I think it's very, very evident that uh, he's not over the loss emotionally, mentally, and he's not dealing with it in a healthy, productive, positive way. He's struggling. Uh, he does not look well. The video that he posted uh, this weekend, he doesn't look mentally fit. In that, Just look at his facial expressions, his eyes, and everything else. Compare that, his mannerisms, his his speech. To the guy you saw in interviews five years ago. He doesn't look like the same dude. There's, I don't know if it's depression, things like that going on. But, you know, Anthony Joshua, after he lost to Andy Ruiz, he hired a sports psychologist or psychiatrist, whatever one it is. Psychologist, I think it's psychologist or psychiatrist, whatever. Sports psychologist. Tyson Fury has been very, very open. And Frank, you know, in, in talking about the fact that he had to seek professional help with his emotional demons and his depression and bipolar disorder and all that. So if Anthony Joshua can do it and Tyson Fury can do it, I think Deontay Wilder and his team seriously need to consider getting him professional help. I'm not saying this to troll. I'm not saying this to be a dick or to uh, to speak negatively about Wilder. I think it would be a positive for him because clearly he's not right. And a lot of you guys have asked me, is he doing this as some masterfully elaborate troll? I don't think so. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. The timeline of events, okay? The timeline of all these posts because this wasn't the first, Odd posts. Go back to this summer. He made weird posts, talking about himself as a king, as a leader of a community, and all these things. Now, is he a leader in his community, um, a- as a role model for kids and everything? Yes, of course. But he, I think I really, really, truly think. Look at who he's doing interviews with right now. It's these YouTube channels, this community of YouTube channels that call themselves the LDBC. Some of them are good, some of them are not, but there's a lot of propaganda and tabloid fodder over there. They're not the only ones. There's plenty of other YouTube channels that engage in that. And YouTube communities, I should say. But there's a lot of craziness over there. Conspiracy theories and the Glovegate stuff and the heavy suit stuff and all this, all this crazy conspiracy stuff floats on those channels. It was those same channels that were accusing Anthony Joshua of ducking Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder inadvertently with his tweets this weekend, basically admitted that he he didn't want to fight. He turned down more money to you know to fight Joshua. There was a legit offer there, less money to fight Fury, and he says it was because he was manning up and all this. I think it's because him and his team figured Fury was an easier fight, but all that. You know, if he's going to LDBC channels, okay, and, and that's who he's seeking out right now instead of legitimate media. If you had a real bone to pick with Tyson Fury, number one, wouldn't you be seeking uh, legal proceedings? Wouldn't you be talking to the authorities? Wouldn't you be hiring uh, people to seriously investigate this, private investigators? Wouldn't you be going to the FBI? I mean, this is high-level stuff, right? This involves a state athletic commission, right? If all this conspiracy, man, I'd be on the phone talking to those sorts of people. And if you wanted to get this out to the news, Deontay Wilder and his people, they have connections, go if you don't want to come to ring magazine and talk to us okay go to espn go to cnn abc go to npr go to bbc take this thing global right bbc um there's so many more legitimate media outlets where he could explain this if he if it was serious but he's going on these channels that make him a deity that look up to him as a god and I do find that interesting that those are the outlets he is seeking to talk about this stuff, not legitimate media sources, okay? Uh, that says a lot. And there are people in the boxing media in the United States, A-lister type guys that have sung wildest praises for years, you know, the, the Iolis, the Coppingers, those sorts of guys that he could go to and, and speak to and get this out there. But he's going to these, these fan channels on YouTube to talk about this stuff. So I, And then the timing of it. After the deadline to to announce the third fight and all this, that tells me everything I need to know. I just think that his team should seriously consider getting a a sports psychologist to talk to him, professional help. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Again, Anthony Joshua did it. Tyson Fury did it. Plenty of other athletes have done it. And in boxing, you know, we're this macho sport and everything. And sometimes we don't want to admit that, you know, we need help and i just think somebody on wilder's team needs to really sit him down and talk to him that's how i feel about it let me know what you guys think but uh, clearly he's not over that loss and he hasn't handled it in a mature positive productive way man these the social media posts are getting more and more odd and to throw mark breland under the bus like that when mark breland went above and beyond to help build him into a title holder a long time title holder and multi millionaire an eight figure multimillionaire Man, that's that just I feel so bad for Mark Breeland. I will try to get him on the show, guys, if I can, but I don't think Mark wants to talk about this publicly. Speaking of guests, I believe that our guest, Christy Martin, is on the line. Let me jump over there and we'll talk to her real quick, guys. Let's see. Let me open up the phone lines. All right. Uh Christy Martin. Hello, is that you?
1: How are you guys?
0: Doing well. How are you doing?
1: I'm hanging in there, you know. God bless me. I woke up. I woke up for another day on the right side of the ground.
0: Hey, nothing wrong with that. Uh, Yeah, are are, are you driving right now? I didn't know. You're like traveling right now, right? Or are you?
1: Can you talk for a while? Unfortunately, yes, I am still. I am still driving and still trying to get you know everything in line and ready for Rock Hill, South Carolina, Saturday night. Uh, You know, we have a great show headlined by Alberto Palmetta, and um, you know, it's going to be a great night of boxing. Something that most people don't see when they go to Carolina fights. We're bringing real fights
0: here. Yeah, that's what I want to talk to you about. So I I know you're traveling, you're driving. I won't keep you long because you need to focus on the road and, you know, do your thing. But uh, obviously I want to talk to you about your career because you're a true pioneer in women's boxing, which is really exploding right now. There's a lot of heat in women's boxing and you really paved the way for a lot of these girls fighting right now. But – You've been promoting and doing matchmaking since 2016, I believe, primarily in the Carolinas and Florida. I want to talk to you about that a little bit. Um, and then, of course, uh, you'll talk about your show this Saturday in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Uh, where can fans who can't obviously be there, where can fans watch this show?
1: Um, they can watch it. It's um it's actually on TYC TV, which is an Argentinian um, television station, but they also will be streaming it. So – worldwide you can watch it through tyc uh tv uh if you're in south florida i think about two million viewers down there have um our uh tyc uh station a few people out in california you know hit and miss here in the country but you can watch it online (laughs) tyc
0: tyc tv okay i'll get a link and i'll be sure to tweet that out and post that link out there where people can watch i gotta ask you though um you know when i I'm from Los Angeles, which is like the hotbed of boxing in the United States, like the West Coast, right? When you think boxing, you think L.A., Vegas, uh, parts of Texas, New York. What made you start promoting primarily in the Southeast, particularly the Carolinas? Do you see that as an, like an untapped market where you want to build something there?
1: Well, it's a double-edged sword, the Carolinas. You know, most everybody that knows about boxing in, in either North or South Carolina, they know it's it's a way to come here and build a fighter. and and basically bring them bum after bum after bum. But that's why I'm trying to explain to the people that are from the Carolinas that why do you want to be known as that? You know, let's, let's be real fighters. So I've tried to change the, uh, the thought process of the, the trainers, the fighters that are here in the Carolinas. That, hey, I'm not just here for somebody to build a record with. I want to be a good fighter too. Um, but it's limited. I mean, it's, first of all, it's a mindset that's tough to change. And I'm not. I don't see it changing. Actually, I came. I started here in the Carolinas because I felt like, as a four-round promoter, you know, I started as a four-round fighter. But at that low-level, just starting promoter, I needed to cut my teeth. I needed to learn the right. ins and outs of, of boxing. So that's that's why uh, Charlotte and I was living in Charlotte at the time. So it, yeah, it just made sense. And um, since then, we've we've uh, expanded into Florida. And hopefully, you know, if COVID could just go away or slow down a little bit. Twenty twenty
0: one, we'll we'll be in Texas. Texas, that's great. You guys, hey, right in between the Carolinas and Florida is this place called Atlanta. <laughs> I'm sure you heard of it. Bring some shows here. Right. This is a wide open market. Uh, when when Tank Davis fought here last year, there was a sellout crowd. It was awesome. I think you could do big here um, in Atlanta. But I think it's awesome what you're doing. I think you're 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 building a brand uh, with your promotional company, and um, it you've been doing it for. I think since 2016, correct? What made you want to get into it?
1: Well, you know, I, my whole life I've been in the, in the world of boxing, and I just, the only way I felt that I could, could stay attached to the sport was to be a promoter. Uh, some people said, why don't you train fighters? Well, because I, I, I expect too much. I want people to work as hard as I did, and they don't want to work that hard uh, in general, most fighters don't. So, mm. so uh, training wasn't going to be my thing, uh, promoting was going to be the the next step that I could take where, you know, let me help build this young kid from, you know, maybe, I have a, a, a young guy from West Virginia. Let me get on his train and, and, and ride to the top with him and, and be proud of, look, I helped him achieve his goal and to get to those places where I got to fight, Madison Square Garden, you know, Jim Grand, Caesar's Palace, all those really cool places in Vegas. And to be along to help somebody else, I, I mean, that would give me uh, as almost as much satisfaction of putting that world title on my own waist helping someone else put it around their waist.
0: You talk about world titles, you know, it's interesting back when you were fighting, I think it was 1996, the WBC recognized you as the quote-unquote nominal female world lightweight champion. I mean, they didn't even have title belts for for female <laughs> fighters and you you finally won a legitimate quote-unquote du- you know WBC title uh, later on in your career. What do you think about female boxing right now? Because it seems that it's really blowing up. We had a couple of great women's fights uh, in the UK and the USA last weekend. Do you feel like you're a true pioneer, and are you happy with where things are right now?
1: No, I never wanted to really have that moniker of the pioneer. I just wanted to to be a fighter. I just wanted to fit in. I felt like um, every time I went out there and fought, I helped women's boxing without waving a flag and say, hey, look at me, I'm a female fighter. Uh, and, and that's why I feel like I fit in and I did okay. I had a little bit longer than a 15 minutes of fame uh, with, for my career. But I think there's some really good women fighters out there right now. I'm uh, going to have a really what I see as the possible future of women's boxing. Tika uh, Hemingway is going to be on my show Saturday. And Chika, uh, I'm right. really excited about that. You know, she's a 170-pounder, uh, making her pro debut. But she's... she's Again, because uh, I have to attach my name to this, she's not fighting a bum. We we went and found an MMA girl from South Florida that can fight also, Miranda Barber, and uh, she's coming to win. I mean, she's not coming just to be uh, the first one that Tika Hemingway knocked out, so Mm -hmm. that's going to be a great fight, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be a great fight for women's boxing, but hopefully it's a great fight for boxing, so when people leave, they're not just talking about, hey, do you see those two women fight? No, they're going to just say, hey, do you see that fight? And, And that is what I'll be proud of.
0: That that's such a great point. You put it so beautifully because I, I do think that's one thing in the UFC that they have, where when women fight, I mean there there are plenty of women stars over in the UFC, and I you know I talk to UFC fans and they really don't distinguish between the female fighters and the male fighters. It was just holy shit, did you see that fight last night? And that's it, you know. But in boxing, there's still that divide. Uh, let me ask you about the shorter rounds and the shorter number of rounds. Do you think that? would you want female fights to be three minute rounds, championship fights, 12 rounds, or do you think it's okay where it is with the the two and 10?
1: Personally, I think it's okay at two and 10 simply because with, and because it is only two minutes, go out there and punch for two minutes. I mean, Mm -hmm. make it exciting, make people have to take notice of your fight. And and with the three minutes, there's so many fights because there are so few women fighters, you know, and all of a sudden now they want to fight, uh, you know, at, at nine or ten fights, they weren't put you in a ten-round fight. You're not ready for a ten-round fight. So going three minutes at ten, you know, ten rounds, it, it's just going to be boring by the time we get to six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, and people are going to say, oh, no, we don't want to see women in fight. But if you keep it short at two minutes where you're going to have action, 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 bill mm-hmm. to bill, then people are going to say, hey, look at that. You know, it was a great female fight. It was a great fight. Again, I want to say it was a great fight.
0: You, you took on everybody when you fought. I, I mean, you fought Mia St. John uh, twice, Leila Ali, who was a lot bigger than you, Holly Holm, who was younger than you. Uh, how do you instill that mentality into the fighters that you're promoting right now and explain to them? In, in this era that is all about the O, right? Everybody talks about the O. You got to be undefeated. It never hurt your popularity that you lost some fights, in fact, it made you more popular sometimes because of how bravely you fought and that you took the big challenges. How do you explain to these young fighters coming up now as a promoter to take on those challenges like you did?
1: You know, I, I think that, that that's something that you, if you have to explain it, they're never going to get it. Hmm. I, I think with uh, the two fights that we, we have to say that we just have seen recently, Tiafimo uh, uh, versus Omachenko, right. and that's two guys. Omachenko really didn't have to fight Tiofimo at, at this time, but they both, and was a young guy, so really did he have to go after him right now? Uh, so it's like that was the best fight and the best. And then last, well, you know, it was just at the fight in San Antonio with uh, Tank and uh, Santa Cruz. What a fight. But right. these guys, you know, it's, maybe they weren't the top two names, but they're damn well close to it, and they're, they're going to go out there and, and let's see what happens. And it was Tank had his hands full early on. I mean he landed a great, great shot, but Santa Cruz brought his game. I mean he brought his A game. It was a it was a terrific fight. And and that's just what we have to see more of. I mean, that's one thing with the UFC. The best fight the best. Right. In boxing we, we some way managed to um uh you know, weave around the best fighting the best sometimes or at the at the right time, you know. Best should fight the best at when they're both at the top of their game, not when one started to slide and and the other one's still, you know, got a little bit of life left in him. We need to fight the best when the best should be fighting each other and not, not wait. And, and, um, you know, that, I think that's hurt boxing. And mm-hmm. I also think because, um, UFC has become more, um, accepting of the female fighters because the UFC fans are much younger. Uh, the fight fans and boxing fans still are a little bit old school and, and not so accepting of the of women in the in sports period.
0: That's a good point that I think, um, a lot of people don't consider that the UFC does have the younger fans uh, a lot more than, than boxing. How does boxing attract the younger fans and, and get younger fans invested emotionally in the fighters? Is it just putting on the best fighting the best? Like you talked about the two recent fights that you just talked about.
1: I think so. I mean, who, who wouldn't, if you're a, a combat sport fan, who wouldn't want to watch more Tank Davis? I mean, not that Tank. I mean, this is what Tank does. But this was against another very high quality fighter, um, so yeah, these two fights that we've just seen, I think, would bring more fans over to boxing.
0: I wanted to ask you—you—you've uh, you've had you know a, a lot of highlights in your career. You uh, were on the cover of Sports Illustrated in 1996, WBC. Uh, super welterweight champion in 2009 and recently recently elected to the international boxing hall of fame in 2020 which i am a proud voter for that uh what was is there one particular highlight in your your life in boxing that stands out to you above the rest well
2: (laughs)
1: you know um when, it, when you take it into consideration, like and understanding that I'm from a town of of maybe 500 people in southern West Virginia, and to get to go to and fight in Madison Square Garden, the mecca of boxing, uh, at least to people of our age, uh, well I don't know how old you are, but my age, <laughs> and um, and, you know, and the fight on those huge cards in Vegas, be promoted by Don King, I, how do I pick one moment? I was the I was the Grand Marshal for the Boxing Hall of Fame induction weekend back in 1996. Uh, that was that was something very special because that was, you know, when the legends were really legends, and and I got to meet so many of those greats: um, Carmen Basilio, Gene Fulmer, uh, Willie Pip, Archie wow. Moore. Uh, wow! You know, to be in the the presence of those guys and to listen to them talk uh, fight stories was unbelievable. So uh, it's just hard for me to say what one moment would um, would stand above everything else, even being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, for 2020 was great, but it just fit into all these other awesome things that it's unbelievable that I was able to to um, have happen in my life.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's got to feel almost like a, a giant blur. Uh, those fights at MSG back in the day, that really was when MSG was still truly the mecca of boxing, and uh, those were just fun events. That era was so much fun, and I hope that we can get back to that how, how do you feel about the business of boxing in general post-COVID, you know, post-quarantine and everything? Do you think we're healthy? Do you, What do you think we could do better? What could we do less of, more of, et cetera?
1: It, it, it's just tough. I mean, I, it, like Top Rank and then those guys, the, the big fights on Showtime, that, that the promoters are getting paid enough money that they can just do the, do a bubble and have the fighters in their camps quarantine for the week before, maybe two weeks before the fight, that that would be the that's the perfect way right now, in my opinion. But us, us small time uh, promoters that are just trying to get to that level, you know, we, we have to uh, we have to count on those ticket sales. So we have to be right. able to have a few uh, a few spectators come in, and it, it makes it hard. And uh, business wise, it's hard to find sponsors now because you know so many people are hurting. Everybody, we're all in the same boat. COVID has us all. Um, Handcuffed. Hopefully, um, I think it's going to be midway through 2021. We'll we'll start seeing things pick up. Um, But I, I think we're still, you know, we still have a few months to go. Tough times.
0: I hope it starts Wednesday. (laughs) I think think a lot of this crap is with the election. (laughs) It's political. Whoever the hell wins, I hope they just start cleaning this crap up. But, uh, okay, I I know you're traveling, so I don't want to keep you much longer. Thank you so much for being on the show. Real quick before I let you go, remind everyone of your show this Saturday, uh, where it's taking place, and where they can watch it. Rock Hill, South Carolina,
1: at the Rock Hill Sports and Events Center. Um, we're extremely excited that we have betus.com on its sponsors. Cure the vape shops are um, all the ones around uh, Charlotte are on board with us. It's going to be a great night of boxing. We have 13 professional uh, fights. Tickets are at Eventbrite.com, or uh, you can walk up and, and, and get a ticket. It's going to be a great night of fights. We'll have plenty to drink, plenty to uh, <laughs> eat, and uh, again, great fights because that's what we do at Christy Mart Promotions and Pain Boxing Series. We're all about making real fights.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much. And TYC TV, everybody, that's where you can catch it and stream it. Uh, Miss Martin, thank you very, very much for being on the show.
1: Thank you, guys.
0: Have a good one. All right, there she goes, the coal miner's daughter, uh, truly one of the all-time great female action fighters. Ever, Not just in boxing, all martial arts, all combat sports. And it was so gracious to call in while traveling because she's got a show going. Let me tell you guys something. the Fight week as a promoter is insane. So for Christy Martin to call in during fight week while driving, pretty damn cool. So thank you so much to her and um, to, to everybody that helped me put that together. And um, okay, guys, so. I am operating at maybe 15% battery right now, so we're going to have to fly through this. It's going to be a short show. I apologize. We're having some tech issues today. Uh, Full disclosure, a hurricane blew through here. It was a tropical storm by the time it got to Atlanta, but last week, our power went out, and our power was out for several days, and we're still getting caught up with everything. It's just been an absolute insane asylum around here. So, okay, we talked about the news Let me get to the fight review real quick. Uh, Super chat pledge from Deed3440. Thank you so much, Deed. He says, I'm calling it Inouye undisputed 118-pound champ. I I really think so, man. I really think Inouye proved that he is legit. We already knew he was legit, but he further solidified that. So let's jump right into this review, man. Um, Friday, real quick, before we get to Saturday, Friday, October 30th, Golden Boy had a card on the zone from Indio, California. Jaime Muglia KO6 win over Toriano Johnson. That was a fun fight. Six rounds through. That was a fun, competitive, close fight. Toriano Johnson did well. I thought Jaime Mugia did well in spots. He just was kind of inconsistent and let the old man kind of get walk right into him and he should have work behind the jab. He's still learning how to keep distance. It's easy to keep distance when you're going forward. It's much more difficult to keep distance when you're going backward. But particularly. You know, a friend of mine texts me during that show and he goes, man, Mungia does not move to his three or to his nine. Meaning, he doesn't move to the right or to the left. There's zero lateral movement. It's just straight back and forward. Once he learns to move laterally and once he learns to keep his distance moving laterally and moving backward, I think we'll have something. I just don't think Jaime Mungia is ever going to be on that level. He's just not that guy. You know what? So what? He's right on the bubble of the top 10 in the middleweight division. I'm ready to see him fight a top 10 guy. I think that he'll be competitive and fun against anybody just because of his size and strength. He does have some athleticism, some pop in his punches, and so far he has shown a really good chin. I actually think his chin will be more sturdy at 160 because he was absolutely killing himself to make 154 also on this card Rashidi Ellis unanimous decision win over Alexis Rocha Rashidi Ellis proved that he's just a level above Rocha but damn that was a boring fight so uh, Ellis didn't set the world on fire didn't necessarily make any new fans but he moves forward in his career to the next step now Saturday Halloween night uh, we had a bunch of Deontay Wilder craziness during the day but at night over in London Wembley Arena uh, it was the Wembley, it wasn't the big house in Wembley, it was the smaller room. But anyway, uh, matchroom on the zone. Oleksandr Usyk, unanimous decision win over Derek Chisora. As I said before, this was a good place setter to see where he's at as a heavyweight. Beating Derek Chisora, here's a question for you guys, an honest question, because we talked about this with the, ring, with the ratings committee this weekend. Is that enough to put Usyk in the top 10 at heavyweight? I don't know, man. I don't know who he replaces uh, right now in the top 10 that we have ranked. Go go to ringtv.com, go to our ratings, see who we have ranked at heavyweight. Who would you replace with Oleksandr Usyk right now based upon beating Derek Chisora Saturday night? I don't know, man. There, there's a few guys, the lower tier of the top 10, Oscar Rivas, uh, Kubra Pulev, those guys have fights coming up. Well, Kubra Pulev does. Um Perhaps if Pulov gets blown out by AJ, then Usyk's in. Uh, Look, there are several guys I would favor Usyk to beat right now. Guys like Ruiz, uh, Joseph Parker, Rivas, guys like that, Pulev. But until he does, does he warrant top 10 heavyweight rating? Let me know what you guys think, because that's something we're still debating. Uh, What did we learn from this fight? Usyk Chisora. We learned that Usyk... Uh, while he has the power to stun a heavyweight, because he stunned Chisora in this fight, he could not finish him. And Chisora is a guy who has been knocked out before. Uh, he was stunned. He was tired. He was, you know, fading at one point in the, the mid round, seventeenth round. And Usyk was really pouring it on in those middle rounds, toward the late rounds, really looking good, and just could not close the show. And then kind of went more into cruise control the last few rounds. And that's why Chisora had some moments in those last few rounds because Usyk realized, I can't knock this dude out. And he kind of pulled back a little bit and started boxing again. Usyk is not going to be able to knock out the top heavyweights. Of course, there's some he might knock out because of styles and, and different things. But just in terms of raw physical strength, he is a natural cruiserweight. He's It's going to be a struggle for him against the top elite level fighters in the heavyweight division. Does that mean I'm counting him out? Does that mean I don't think he can win a title at heavyweight? No, it doesn't. I'm just saying it's going to be a struggle for him, and the jury remains out. In terms of skills, Usyk is the most skilled heavyweight on the planet right now, including Tyson Fury. He's more skilled than all of them. But he's also a smaller guy. Smaller fighters are more skilled than bigger fighters. Going up against someone like Fury, who's 270 pounds, going up against Anthony Joshua, even Deontay Wilder, he's going to struggle with the size and the length. Actually, Wilder wouldn't be... he's probably weighs the same as Deontay if he could get inside of the right hand I think that he would he could probably beat Deontay pretty clearly but AJ and Fury those are tough fights for him man he's he's away from that right now he just needs to focus on the top 10 guy and let's see how he looks and let's you know revisit this when we see him against a guy like maybe Joseph Parker or somebody like that uh, let's see. Also on this uh, card, George Cambosos Jr. Split decision win over Lee Selby. This was a lightweight fight. Of course, Selby used to be a featherweight title holder. A lot of people did not like this decision. A lot of people, dare I say most, felt that Selby edged it, including one of the judges, Phil Edwards, who scored a 115-114 for Selby. But... Uh, One judge, Yuri Koptsev, scored at 118-110 for Kombosis. I have no idea what the hell he was watching. And Danielle Vandeweel scored at 116-112 for Combosis. Those are both just too wide. If you had the Aussie, fine. But 115-113, it sounds like a reasonable score. MGM Grand Las Vegas uh, top break on ESPN Plus. Nayoya Inouye, TKO 7 win over Jason Maloney. Defends his two Bantamweight titles. An absolute domination of a proven top 10 fighter at Bantamweight. Why do I make that point? Because I- I'm going to talk just in a minute here about Gervonta Davis and Leo Santa Cruz. And there are elements of that fight. When you look at what Inouye did against Maloney, I'm more impressed by that than what Tank did against Leo Santa Cruz. Leo Santa Cruz is a better fight than J- a better fighter than Jason Maloney. However, Jason Maloney is a proven top ten bantamweight, and people are forgetting that Inoue started at 108 junior flyweight. So junior flyweight, flyweight, super flyweight, bantamweight, four divisions up, fighting a natural 118 guy, and he dominated every second of this fight, dropped him multiple times, stopped him with a great. Uh, right-hand knockout. And I've seen some of the hate starting already on social media with Naoya Inouye. There are people out there that think he's overrated. Uh, he shouldn't be on the pound-for-pound pound list. He shouldn't be in the top five, even if you do list him. Some people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got number nine, number 10, but he's not in the top five. What are you guys smoking? What does this guy have to do? Now, now he hasn't fought. He, he's beat an elite-level fighter, mind you. Beating uh, Nonito Donaire the way he did, f- fighting injured with a broken bone in his face, uh, fight of the year candidate, that was a huge thing. And that was a finale of a tournament to come straight off of that, to come to the United States off a one-year layoff, essentially, and, and and surgery, you know, repairing an injury, to come off that and dominate a top 10 guy like this, man, that is pound for pound level shit, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know why, I'm starting to see some haters with in a way, and I don't understand it. Now, PBC on Showtime Pay-Per-View, Alamodome, San Antonio, Texas, Javante Davis, KO6, Leo Santa Cruz, 130 pounds. Number one, I love that Javante Davis took this fight seriously. A lot of people thought he looked bad at the weigh-in. I thought he looked great at the weigh-in. That's the best I've ever seen him look. He looked better for this weigh-in than he looked last year weighing in for Gamboa, where he had to weigh in at 135 and didn't make weight. He looked better at 130. Weighing in for Santa Cruz because he did it the right way. So he took that seriously. However, we shouldn't be congratulating him for that. i see people on Twitter that were going, congrats for making weight. Dude, that's what professional fighters are supposed to do. So props to him for being a professional and coming in a, in shape and looking really, really good, I I thought. Cutting weight and rehydrating. He didn't over-rehydrate. He did it the right way. His team, he's got smart people around him, helped him do it the right way. I thought he looked really, really good with that whole process. He acted professional. This is what we want to see from Javante Davis from here on out, every fight going forward, okay? But he doesn't deserve extra credit for making weight. That's what you're supposed to do as a professional. Anyway, 130 pounds, the reason why I bring that up, guys, Leo Santa Cruz is not a proven 130-pounder. In fact, we, did, we don't have him rated at 130 pounds at ring. Not because we're hating on Leo Santa Cruz. We had him rated at 118, 122, 126. But he's had one fight at 130 against a journeyman-level opponent who I think is 2-3 and three in his last five. So even though he won a piece of a WBA title, we all know what that was. That's a bullshit paper title. It's as thin as my notes, okay? So, does Gervonta Davis beating Leo Santa Cruz, I I think it proves, because this was at 130 and all of Tank's work previously at 130, I think he's clearly an elite level 130-pounder. He has proven that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right now we're debating whether to rate him at number 2 at 130 or at number 3 or number 4. We're, we're arguing the placement, but he's going to be rated inside info, guys. When our new ratings come out, he will be somewhere between 2 and 4 at 130. He's proven that. But was this a pound-for-pound level win? When? Your opponent is the one making all the pound-for-pound concessions. Leo Santa Cruz older, more faded, more shop-worn, moving up in weight. You know, Leo was the guy moving up in weight, fighting the naturally bigger, younger, stronger, more explosive guy. Leo was making those concessions. So, in this case, I just don't know if this was a pound for pound type of performance where Tank should now enter the top ten. All that being said, so well, let me back up real quick. What Inoa did against Maloney, I certainly think was a pound for pound level uh, win. Would you consider everything I said? about him coming up in weight, winning a tournament, all those things, fighting a proven top guy in his division and beating him so soundly. With Tank, yes, he got the explosive knockout, and it's a knockout of the year candidate. For me, Povek White just edges it, but if you have Tank's knockout over Santa Cruz as your 2020 knockout of of the year, no argument from me. Perfectly logical. It was an amazing knockout. It also showed levels that Leo Santa Cruz doesn't have because Tank kept hitting him with that left uppercut and, and Leo Santa Cruz couldn't get out of the way of it. However, in terms of rounds, at the end of that sixth round, had Tank not landed that big uppercut, guys, this was an even fight. I know plenty of people out there that said they had it four rounds to two for, for Leo. I personally had it even, three rounds apiece. That's how I was going to have it scored if that knockout wouldn't have happened. So when you're splitting rounds with Leo Santa Cruz, who's been a very good fighter, never a great fighter, but a very good fighter, four-division title holder, but never a champion of a division, never the man. He's never beat... Well, he's beat one elite-level fighter, and that was Carl Frampton. And that was a close fight in which, again, uh, Leo Santa Cruz had all the promotional advantages and physical advantages. Carl Frampton was a smaller guy. Um, And then when you look at the location of that fight and everything else, great performance by Leo, though that's his best win. But that was 2017. In the last three years, look at at his resume. It's not very good. So based upon this performance, splitting rounds with – Leo, and then landing a great shot that he didn't see coming and knocking Spark out, that's exciting. That's explosive. But take away that knockout and look at the action. Javante Davis's eyes were swelling up; they were closing up. He was getting tagged. Now, what happens when he gets tagged like that against Miguel Berchelt? If Leo Santa Cruz could put hands on him, what does Lee, might Miguel Berchelt do to him? I want to see that fight. I want to see if Tank can weather the storm against Miguel Burchelt and then blast him out, if he can do that, then he's pound for pound top five. Okay, But until we see that, guys, he's done nothing but beat up on shorter, smaller fighters. Um, Let's see. So there was some good and some bad with this fight. And I, sorry, guys, I know there's a few of you on the phones. I don't know how much longer we're going to go here with the battery. I got about 8%. So let me fly through this. If we have any more time, I will get to the phones. Okay, guys? Um, there was some good in this because I, one thing I loved – was the sportsmanship. You, you got an entertaining fight, and then you got an explosive, a dramatic ending that was trending on Twitter. That that GIF, the, the clip, was trending on Twitter and different social media platforms. And then afterwards, Leo Santa Cruz showed sportsmanship to Tank, and take and Turn showed sportsmanship to him. Both of these guys acted classy, professional. It was awesome. I loved seeing that, especially after such a dramatic ending, the class both of these fighters showed. I wish we had more of that boxing. And and that should be commended because we could use more of it. However, there's some bad here. Definitely some bad. The WBA. I'm not even going to get into the WBA craziness and madness. That is what it is. But some of the promotional propaganda, that bothers me. So, I didn't like that this fight was on pay-per-view. It's a shame. I wish it had been on regular Fox. Imagine if Gervonta, I'm going to be that guy, but imagine if Gervonta Davis scored that emphatic knockout on regular Fox on Saturday night. That would be huge, ladies and gentlemen. It would be a clip on SportsCenter rolling over and over and over. Imagine that performance, that fight and performance on regular Fox versus Showtime Pay-Per-View, where maybe 150,000, 200,000 people bought it. Much, much different than what we saw with uh, Teofimo Lopez beating Vasily Lobachenko in front of 3 million people live on ESPN. Huge difference. So I don't like the manipulation of the fans. Uh, there there was an a interview with Floyd Mayweather where he was asked about Teofimo Lopez and Tank Davis was fighting. He said, well, yeah, we'll do that, but... We're the A-side, he's the B-side, so so we're going to get all the money. And, guys, right there, that's basically the Twitter call-out. That's saying, I'll fight him, but that basically, I'll translate for you. That means, no, we're not fighting him. So I don't like that manipulation, and it's not that Floyd Mayweather and, and, and Leonard Dellerby and Al Heyman and PBC are the only guys that do this. Every single promotional outfit in the sport does it, Okay. But there is a track record here, and what I don't like is that in this era, you fight once on pay-per-view, and suddenly now you're a pay-per-view attraction. That's going to be the negotiating process going forward. They're going to say, well, Tank Davis fought on Showtime pay-per-view. He's a pay-per-view fighter. So dollars got to be here. If we're going to fight your guy, then we're taking this much of the purse, et cetera, et cetera, because we're a pay-per-view fighter. When the hell did this shit start? Being a pay-per-view fighter used to mean that you were a superstar. That's another word that's overused in the sport right now. There are maybe two or three superstars, maybe, in the sport of boxing today. Maybe. That's a stretch, okay? The biggest global name in boxing right now is still Manny Pacquiao. If Floyd Mayweather came back tomorrow and fought the Domino's Pizza Boy, he'd still be the biggest name in boxing right now. Those are the two last crossover superstars in this sport. Really? Okay. And Canelo's close, but not not there. He's not a crossover. Canelo Alvarez could can walk down the street in Boston and people think he's just some Irish kid from the neighborhood walking around. A lot of people wouldn't know who he is outside of the Mexican-American fan base and diehard fight fans. Uh, they wouldn't know who he is, right? You can say the same thing with Anthony Joshua outside of the U.K., Now, because of Fury's win over Wilder, he's starting to become maybe the next crossover guy. There are opportunities. Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, if they ever fight each other, perhaps one of them. If Spence fought Canelo or something like that, it's been talked about, uh, perhaps he could become a crossover guy. But Tank Davis is nowhere near that right now. He moves the needle. He's a proven ticket seller. But... he's got to do half a million to a million pay-per-view buys before I'm going to call him a superstar in the sport of boxing. And he's not there yet. So the fact that the A side plus B side stuff is already starting, that lets you guys know what the business plan here is. It's going to be low risk, high reward, manipulate and milk the fans. Oh, we're fighting against Leo Santa Cruz. We're fighting a four division champion. no, A guy like me who's a diehard fight fan, I know what what, I can read between that shit. I can see the gray area between the, the black and white. Okay, I can see the fine print. Leo Santa Cruz is a four time title holder, he was never the champion of a division. And he's an older, smaller guy, et cetera, et cetera. This is the sort of manipulation of fans that drives me nuts. And you can see that's the business plan now with Tank Davis, who is an eight-year pro. Solid win over Jose Pedraza, who is actually a top guy in his weight class when he fought him. But his other top two wins over Yorio Gamboa and Leo Santa Cruz, right now walking around are natural featherweights. And they both started, uh, well, Santa Cruz did lower on the weight scale. So that sort of thing, drives me nuts. And I just hope that the powers that be promoting, uh, tank Davis, get him some big fights against top 130 and 135 pounders going forward. Okay. Real quick preview guys. Uh, I'm losing my connection. What is going on? All right, guys. I think on YouTube, I'm losing my connection. Oh, I think we're back up. Okay. I don't know what's going on right now. Maybe some of the hurricane stuff, some residuals, but... We lost connection there for a second, but we're back on. Let me run through this preview real quick, guys. I don't know how much longer we're going to be online. Uh, This Wednesday, November 4th, PBC on uh, FS1 from Los Angeles. There's a card uh, featuring several undefeated prospects, so check that out. Friday, November 6th, a women's 140-pound title fight on the Impact Network. Uh, Most of you guys, if you have a basic cable package in the United States, you should have the Impact Network. Make sure you check it out. Uh, Callie Reese. You might remember her uh, recent losses to Cecilia Brekus, but dropped her. Remember that? She dropped Brekus before uh, losing a decision fight to her at 147. She also fought Christina Hammer and lost to her at 160. She's now at 140, going up against a Canadian, Candy Watt, who had fought for a uh, title only once previously. It was TKO'd in that uh, title fight attempt. So this is for a 140-pound title. I will be covering this event for ringtv.com, so you can catch my write-up there on the site after the fight. Saturday, November 7th, we have two cards here in the U.S. of A. PBC on Fox from Los Angeles. Heavyweight action. Luis Ortiz coming off his KO against Deontay Wilder last November. One year out of the ring, rested up. Let's see how he looks. Going up against Alexander Flores, who has an incredibly weak resume, uh, KO'd by Joseph Parker, and Charles Martin. So expect Ortiz to look good in this matchup, also uh, Cuban heavyweight prospect Frank Sanchez, who is 15 and 0, is on this card. He's 28, but he looks 48. You know how it is with some of these Cuban guys. Uh, Matchroom on the zone from Florida in the main event. Devin Haney, 24 and 0, going up against the previously mentioned Yoriokas Gamboa for Haney's WBC email lightweight title. Um, you look. I dissed the WBA. Now I got dissed the WBC. What they have done in the lightweight division is disgusting. Tiafoe Lopez should have all of the titles right now. This is a mockery. This should not be a title fight. Haney beat a decent fighter for his interim WBC belt last September. He beat Zaur Ab- Abduliev, who is a good uh, amateur fighter and is a solid pro prospect. Hasn't really proven much as a pro, but uh, that. Decent for an interim title fight, fine, I'll give you that. But then he fought Alfredo Santiago, who has a terrible resume, for the full title two months later, last November. The WBC fuckery, uh, you know, what can I say? Also on this card, heavyweight action, Zale Zhang, 21-0 from China, 37 years old. Six foot six, going up against Devin Vargas, a 10-round heavyweight fight. And Filip Ergovic, 11-0, 28-year-old Croatian, also 6'6", going up against uh, Detroit's own Rydell Booker, 10-rounds heavyweights. That's it, guys. Uh, so we are down on YouTube because my phone has cut out. I have lost power. However, uh, I am still going live on Spreaker. So I'm going to jump over here to the phones real quick and take a couple of quick calls. And, um, after that, we're going to uh, wrap it up guys. Let me jump over here to the phones real quick. For those of you listening live on audio, I appreciate it. Uh, five, seven, zero you're on TNC go. Hey, thanks for taking
3: my call. Yeah. I want to address Floyd's comments about the prolifer- proliferation of belts. And he's right about that, but he's a hypocrite because he's the guy who fought Zab Judah after Zab Judah lost his belts against Carlos Valdemar for the IBF belt after he lost to Baltimore. So Floyd's own guy, Tang Davis has a paper belt, a junior belt, WBA lightweight belt. That means nothing. Um, It's, it's the same old, same old Floyd. He loves to manipulate weaker people. And it's a shame that there's fans out there that bring down the rest of us by buying that crap. Now I told you online that I was going to bet hard. Tang Davis. I mean, it was a ridiculous bet. I had no problem doing it because I knew the fight was a foregone conclusion, just like I knew Amir Khan versus Canelo Alvarez was a foregone conclusion because these guys weren't legitimate fighters in the weight class they were fighting. And and you saw how both got knocked out brutally. And that should say something to the commission. For sanctioning these fights, dragging guys up from lower weights to fight a guy who's an established big man in these weights. Now, Leo Santa Cruz could have gotten hurt he didn't take a sustained beating. He got knocked, he got concussed, mm-hmm. but still that's going to have ring effects. And to keep selling that narrative, knocking out smaller guys to sell a fight. It's disgusting. It really is. And we're going to see the same thing uh, next week with uh, Haney, you know, fighting a guy coming off a loss.
0: Yeah. That's going to be, ugly. Davis. it's going to be ugly, man. This is sad, right?
3: <laughs> it's irresponsible. And, and I told you before I said, I have no problem putting an irresponsible pet on these fights because they're pretty much, they're handed in already. I mean, there's no way that these guys are going to lose. And for boxing fans to keep being subjected to this, it's an insult. But then again, they're not selling it to boxing fans. They're selling it to people like Deontay Wilder fans who aren't boxing fans. They're like cult um, followers. Okay. I mean, it's, it's gotten to the point where we're really seeing um, corruption in boxing and Deontay Wilder going off the way he is libelous okay. against not only Tyson Fury, Mark Freeland, but the state of Nevada. I mean, I'm not a big fan of uh, uh, the commissioner there, Bob Bennett. He's ex-FBI. So he you know he's going to be nip and tuck when it comes to the rules when in regards to uh, inspection of uh, gloves and, 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 and property. It, there's not going to be any improperties going on. So with with that, he could, he could be open to a lot of lawsuits and I hope he gets sued. I hope he gets sued to the point where he's bankrupt because there's got to be a point where you're responsible for your actions and words. And Deontay Wilder might be talking on the LDBC radio network. I mean, that's a, they're a bunch of hooligans to begin with. Okay. But still it's a damaging process because Mark Breland if he's accusing him of spiking his water, he may never get a job again based off that. So there, what's going on in boxing, especially in America, it, it's, it's really, it's sad to see. And guys like Anui, uh, I take my hat off to him. Number one pound for pound in boxing. I mean, his, his record speaks for itself. Five fights in a row against top guys. I was sweating that out because I had a big parlay with him and I thought Maloney was going to give him, give him the goods but he came and he destroyed him. Right. And not a lot of guys can do that. So
1: yeah, no one else has
3: done it. him. He's number one count for count.
0: You're not alone, yeah. man. There's, there's and, a lot of people on the, on the committee that have, in a way, number one right now. There's just several.
3: No question. And, and people who are talking Crawford, come on, let's be honest. He's never fought an A-list fighter. His best opponent was Postol. And he's fighting a guy, Kel Brook, who's shot, completely shot, who doesn't even have a trainer. He's coming in for a paycheck, and he he hasn't fought an A-list guy. And there's no way you could justify him being number one. So by process of elimination, that's who you got. You got Inouye, number one. So here we are, folks. It's proven that, hey, if you want to be the best, you got to fight the best. And these guys like Tank Davis, Devin Haney, Crawford, Wilder, all these guys talking, 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 fighting, hand-picked guys, you're not the best. You're just you're just a con. OK, and you're going to con a couple people. But the smart people, we, we know what you are. It's an insult. It really is. So yeah, I know you vote <laughs> on that. So let's uh, remember that uh, pound for pound little inkling there, as well as one more thing. I told you about the, the Hall of Fame. I don't know if you voted already. Darius Mikulczewski, Give the guy his credit. Give the guy his due. 24 defenses of the WBO belt unified the WBA and IBF against Virgil Hill before Roy Jones beat him. That guy deserves Hall of Fame status. Um, He doesn't get the credit he deserves. Roy Jones ducked him, told HBO he doesn't want to hear his name on the broadcast. Get his name out there. The guy put some respect on that man.
0: I think he'll eventually get in. The problem is, like this year, this year was a loaded year, man. I mean, uh, Vladimir Klitschko, yeah. Floyd Mayweather, guys like that were just no brainers. So I think on a weaker year, Darius will get in, but yeah, unfortunately, you know, he's a victim of politics. The big fight with Roy Jones never happened. Um uh, there's fault on both sides, but I do agree with you. It was Roy who didn't want to travel and make the concessions. Um, so, you know, it is what it is, but I think he can eventually get in.
3: I hope so. I mean, cause he really was a great fighter um, just watch what he did to Virgil Hill. I mean, that speaks for itself. And he, and he beat Rocca Johnny, who was another tough customer. Um, he, he beat Michael Nunn for the WBC strap, mm-hmm. uh, at light heavyweight as well. Yeah. So pretty much you could say he won all those belts. Cause Rocca Johnny was stripped before he fought, uh, So, I mean, it is what it is, but, um, that's boxing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, unfortunately you gotta take the good with the bad. And, uh, you know, just on your end, keep doing the good work. I know you're, uh, you're one of the good guys out there, so.
0: Appreciate that, man. Love what you're Thank doing. Thank you. All right. Thank you, right. Have a good one, man. You too. All right, let's jump to one other call real quick.
2: 773,
0: you're on TNC. Go.
2: What's up, Mike? Did you say YouTube's down? This will be on, sh- uh, what did you say, Streamer?
0: Yeah, Spreaker. Well, it's on all the, this will be on iTunes, SoundCloud, all of them, Spotify, but right now we're live on Spreaker. So yeah, the uh, the YouTube, the video went down because my phone died. But uh, this the the audio portion is set up through a studio on my, my uh, laptop. So we're still going live there.
2: Okay. Um, so I was going to talk about the same people who were talking about, oh, don't use weight in excuse. Lomachenko, the better man won. Tia Fimo was the better man. Don't bring up the weight are now talking about, oh, Davis, he, he beat a smaller guy. Why are you, why you picking on little guys? And uh, Santa Cruz, he's too little, this and that. It's just another day, boxing, more hypocrisies. Not surprising. I mean, Santa Cruz, he was head and shoulders above Davis. He did not look like he was giving up a bunch of size. He looked like the bigger, longer guy. Um, he really didn't look like he was giving up much size, so... And on the other hand, Lomachenko looked like he was about three weight classes smaller. But that sh- I just found that funny. As That's far as Usyk. Yeah, as far as Usyk goes, I heard people saying, before the fight, they are saying, oh, back in the, I don't know, probably about six, seven months ago, I'll wait till he fights someone, a real heavyweight. Let's see if he can handle that power, I doubt. He ain't going to be able to handle that power. We'll see what happens when he gets touched on the chin by a real heavyweight. Well, he passed it. He got touched up, and he was never hurt. Maybe some body shots, he was roughed up a little bit. But as far as his chin, chin held up fine. So, And now they're saying, oh, I want to see him how he does against um, Andy Ruiz. Put him in there against Andy Ruiz. Well, put him in there against Wilder. It's like, no. He was already the mandatory before Chisora. He didn't have to take this dangerous fight, but he did, and now it's only options. The only other fights to make is him versus Wilder, I mean him versus Joshua mm-hmm. or him versus Fury. So the only two fights, and then two. I need to see more. I need to see him against this guy. I need to see him against that guy. He doesn't need to do anything. He needs to be fighting for this title. That's what he needs to do. What's your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I think there's a possibility that uh, AJ. So I, he asked for an extension with the WBO because he's fighting, I think, his IBF mandatory is Kubrat Pulev. That's who he's going to fight. And the, the question is, what happens next year? Because the WBO, I don't think, will strip him this year, but they're probably going to want him to fight Usyk early next year. So, but at the same time, remember uh, Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury. Their teams that are talking about fighting maybe once or twice next year. So. Which way does it go? If he he fights Tyson Fury, that's a much bigger fight, obviously. But he'll probably get stripped of the WBO title, which I don't think he would mind. Because against Fury, that's going to be a huge record-setting revenue type of fight. So if the WBO goes vacant, it's going to be Oleksandr Usyk versus the top available contender for the vacant WBO title. I think that's a very likely scenario. And I'm with you. He would jump right to that why would you wait why would you not do it but if Anthony Joshua decides not to fight Fury then it's very very possible we could see Usyk and Joshua fight early next year like in the spring
2: yeah the people who are saying Andy Ruiz they're trying to inject his name in the mix like he got completely outclassed and destroyed by Anthony Joshua He he didn't show up at all like he needs to be work his way back up yeah and politically, some that fight turn, turn.
0: Po- politically that fight can't happen politically yeah. that fight can't happen because Andy is a, a pbc guy that he's not gonna cross the street to to do that fight uh he was a mandatory or he stepped in la- i'm sorry not a mandatory he was stepped in last second to fight uh anthony joshua that's the only reason that fight c- came off uh but yeah the, the, him fighting against Usyk, that's just not politically gonna happen i don't see that happening
2: yeah, I agree. I mean, people are trying to discredit the Usyk with saying, "Oh, he didn't look that good." Oh, wait till he fights Joshua. He he, he stands no chance. They think they're under under uh, rating. Just sort of, I think he's a tough, dangerous guy. What was he? Like, 265. He was coming forward, swinging with everything he got. You could tell he really wanted this win. This would be a huge win, and it's. I mean, he fought the who's who. Look at his resume. He's been in there with everybody lot of experience and they're trying to say oh he he should have knocked him out and this and that uh i think they're afraid i think they're afraid that u6 may give some problems may beat anthony joshua i think he has a real good chance just got to survive those early rounds and wear him down what's your thoughts on that fight but i'll leave you to it
0: okay man uh well uh thanks for calling in bro uh yeah i'll give you an answer or do you i don't know if you want to hang out or you're going to drop off. But um, with uh with Usyk and AJ, I, in terms of skills, I think Usyk has a real good chance to d- disrupt uh, what AJ wants to do. Uh, AJ's going to want to work behind the jab. He, I think he'd box Usyk uh, a lot like – not exactly, but similar to the way he boxed Andy Ruiz in the second fight, where he'd stay back, he'd work off the jab and just be smart. Because I do think Usyk, with that southpaw style, would have a chance to land a good straight left hand that uh, – That he doesn't see coming. AJ doesn't see coming and could stun him. Do I think, you know, would I favor Usyk? I don't know about that. I think in terms of boxing skill and craft and and just straight up boxing, yes, Usyk's the better guy. But Anthony Joshua is much bigger, much stronger, and he's a better fighter than Derek Chisora. So uh, I'm interested in that fight, and I'd love to see it. But if we get Fury and Joshua fighting next year, I'd rather see that first. Because if those two guys fight first, then Usyk can fight somebody for the vacant title, and then the winner between Fury and Joshua can fight Usyk later on when he's a little more settled in at heavyweight. I think that would be a win-win scenario. Right now, you know, I I, I think Usyk what he did against Chisora, considering all the intangibles, is pretty impressive, and I think he's definitely going to have a good heavyweight run. I don't know yet if I'd favor him against Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury though.
2: All right. I great. Um, we'll be, we'll be seeing this. Uh, all right. Take it easy, Mike.
0: All right, man. Have a good one. All right, guys, that is, uh, that's going to wrap it up, man. Um, yeah. Sorry for you guys on YouTube. <laughs> Just man, tech difficulties, ladies and gentlemen, as much as I prepare, Something always breaks. That's just how it is with technology. But uh, that's why we also do the audio version. We do video and audio for cases like that. So anyway, uh, hope you guys enjoyed the show. And we will uh, be back next Monday. So uh, like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. I'll see you at the fights.